You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Good GP. My name's Christina and today I'm joined by Dr. Samantha Peden, vascular surgeon from the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital to talk about venous ulcers and chronic venous insufficiency. Thanks, Sam, so much for joining me today. Thanks very much for having me. So let's jump right in. I wanted to ask you, first of all, uh, the typical patient that presents with these kinds of conditions. Uh, so chronic venous insufficiency and venous disorders are extremely common in the community. They can be more prevalent in women than men, and they increase in prevalence as you become older. To develop venous incompetence, you can either have it congenitally, so it's associated with different syndromes such as klippel trelawney or Churg-Strauss, which are very rare, and the more common patient would present with a primary varicose veins or incompetence. And then you can have secondary causes, uh, which might be, for example, if someone's had a DVT secondary to trauma, they've had their veins ligated related to an operation, or if they've had something external compress their veins. So that's the secondary causes of the patients who present to us. But you're more common is your female, older, who's got primary varicosities and subsequent sequelae of venous disease. Okay, great. So let's talk about presentation then and how these conditions would generally present to the general practitioner. Yep. So with chronic venous disease, people would have either had deep or superficial incompetence and that leads to them having what's called ambulatory venous hypertension. And over time, that can lead to the following changes. Normally, it starts with either obvious varicose veins or reticular veins or spider veins. They then can develop eczematous changes, so eczema or pruritus, uh, and that can progress on then to further skin changes. And ultimately, they can end up with venous ulceration, usually after they've developed things such as hemosiderin deposition. So because of the venous hypertension, hemosiderin then seeps out through the veins, gives you that purple discoloration within the gator regions of your ankles as well as lipodermatosclerosis which is more thin brawny tissue around the ankle which then predisposes people to develop ulceration again the ulcers are usually in the gator region they're relatively painless except with the dressing changes and they normally with time get bacterial growth through those usually pseudomonas yeah, great. And what do you think, like, in terms of the common, I guess, mimickers? Like, what would that be commonly sort of misdiagnosed as, would you say? Some of, you know, um, chronic venous insufficiency. So patients with chronic venous disorders might be thought to have arterial ulceration. So whether or not it's related to having arterial ulcers or if it's thought to be secondary to if they've had a biopsy, it can deteriorate into a venous ulcer, but you might think it's just a non-healing wound. Okay, and so what about the actual ulcers themselves? So in terms of, you know, differentiating the venous ulcer versus an arterial ulcer, you know, I know it's a bit hard because we don't have diagrams and nice PowerPoint presentations here, but what would you sort of, what would your tips around that be? Uh, so it's really location what the ulcer appears to look like and also how the patient describes the pain they get with the ulcer. So venous ulcers, as I said, are typically within the gator region. Uh, they can be circumferentially. Commonly, they're on the medial aspect of the foot or the ankle itself. They have a variegated border, normally a very sloughy base that's relatively pain-free, as opposed to your arterial ulcers, which can be punched out, tips of toes, over the foot itself, 
And then your neuropathic ulcers you'd have on areas, say, for example, where you have weight bearing, or if you've got your typical diabetic feet with their curled toes, you can get your arterial ulceration along the tips of the toes. And also if you've got a club foot or a Charcot foot on areas of weight bearing. So that would be an unusual place to have a venous ulcer. Whereas venous, as I said, would be closer to the ankle. They can go all the way up to the knees as well, though, if you've got extensive varicosities or long-standing venous hypertension, they can be quite, they spread quite rapidly. Okay, so let's talk about workup then and in terms of investigations. Is there anything, you know, generally that you would recommend for these patients? Yeah, so definitely when a patient presents with obviously a chronic ulceration and you're considering whether it could be related to venous disease, you need to order a venous competency study. So that's going to look both at the deep and the superficial veins. So with the deep veins, we're looking to see, are they competent? Is there any evidence of an acute DVT or chronically thrombosed vessels? And the superficial system is the same. With chronic venous disease that's primary, what you typically find is a patent deep system, which is really important, and incompetence within the superficial system, usually the the great saphenous vein, but it can also involve the short saphenous vein. And with those patients, if you discover any of those, that would be a pertinent time to then directly refer them to vascular surgery because if they already have an ulcer, they've met the criteria in most hospitals across Australia to have their varicose veins treated. Okay, and what about looking for arterial disease? So, I mean, even for a patient where, you know, you're quite confident that the appearance is a venous ulcer, but, you know, if you're wanting to think about compression, and I might be jumping the gun in terms of thinking about management, but, you know, do you recommend sort of doing ABIs or studies to look at arterial circulation in terms of a workup looking at the option of compression? Yeah, definitely. So if you've, even if you found your venous uh, incompetency study and determined the patient has superficial or deep incompetence, starting with an ABPI or ankle brachial pressure index would be a good way to know whether or not, number one, they have any evidence of arterial disease, and number two, if you're able to apply the correct amount of compression to help treat the venous disorder. So normal is 0.8 to 1.2. If it's above that, you worry you've got incompressible calcified tibial vessels. And if it's below that, you've got evidence of peripheral arterial disease. So your next step, if you have an abnormal ABPI, would be to get an arterial duplex and then determine with both of those results whether or not the patient has a mixed ulcer, so a combination of arterial and venous issues, or whether it's venous alone or whether it's actually an arterial pathology. Okay, so let's talk about management then in terms of, you know, let's start with sort of chronic venous insufficiency, I guess, without the complications in terms of, you know, the venous ulcers. What sort of management would you be recommending at that point? And then I guess we can move into managing venous ulcers as well. Yep. So if you've had a patient that's presented to you, for example, with varicose veins that they complain are quite painful if they've got uh, telangiectasia or the, the starting features of chronic venous incompetence then compression is your number one key so there's different grades of compression so your readily available tubi grip or simple dressings not formal compression your next step would be a coban or coban light and then you want to move into your class one two and three compression So ideally with venous incompetence, class 3 compression is what you want to aim for. 
It depends if the patient has concomitant arterial insufficiency as to whether or not you're able to use the full amount of compression. And also you might find your patient can't initially handle that level of compression. So you could start with, if they don't have any ulcers, suggesting a TED stocking or a class one, two or three compression garment, which they can either get through an occupational therapist or a pharmacy can have graded compression stockings as well. If the patient then develops venous ulceration, so you want to work on your dressing regime. So commonly these become colonized with pseudomonas. So anything that's got silver in it for short periods is going to be good to eradicate your pseudomonas and again, compression. So as you're, when you have florid venous ulceration, you might find there's quite a lot of ooze and you're doing the dressings more than three times a week. But once you've got a handle on the compression, you've used your silver dressings and hopefully eradicated a lot of the pseudomonas, you can push it back to twice a week or even once a week to do your dressing changes. Okay, and is there anything like in specific, other than sort of considering the silver for the pseudomonas eradication, mm. anything else specific in the dressing? I mean, there's so many dressing options available mm. um, yeah. and it can sometimes be a bit overwhelming. I know, especially when I was sort of starting out in primary care, kind of deciding what dressing to use for what patient. Is there any sort of rule of thumbs without sort of going too much into different brands? But, you know, is there any rule of thumbs in terms of which dressings to choose for these patients? Yeah, definitely. Well, the other thing with um, because silver is so expensive, you can do acetic acid soaks prior to doing the dressing itself. So it's just diluted acetic acid, put over gauze, you allow time for that to soak into the wound and then you just slowly debride off a lot of the slough. And then really all you want to have is a dressing that's going to be absorbable. So you might even find yourself needing a combine or Zedjuvit, so different brand names, but effectively an absorbent dressing to take as much moisture out of the wound as possible so that you're not bathing the leg in moisture before your next dressing change. And then if you don't want to use acetic acid, your other options are either you can even use over-the-counter Lux Flakes and soak the leg in it or Condi's Crystals. So all those products will help to help eradicate Pseudomonas. And then you can go with simple absorbable dressings such as the Zedjuvit and then the other compressive dressing which is reasonable especially for patients because it's so expensive uh, you can use Cetapress so Cetapress is washable compressible dressing and that can be applied and you have two sets so one that's applied and then while they're getting that one done they can wash their other Cetapress and use it for the next sitting but definitely will decrease the cost for the patient. Yeah okay that's some great tips so when would when do you want to see these patients in terms of as a vascular surgeon? At what point do you want to see these patients in their journey? Oh, definitely. So with the patients who have got evidence of venous ulceration, uh, those are patients we definitely want to see as soon as possible with the venous competency study. Even if you don't have access to the study or are uncertain what to order, if you refer them to a vascular service, they'll be able to send them off for the necessary investigations. The patients who have evidence of hemosiderin deposition or lipodermatosclerosis and even varicose veins can be referred in as well, ideally with a venous competency study. And depending if it's public or private, uh, across Australia there's different requirements for patients to get treatment. If they have evidence of superficial incompetence but their deep system is patent incompetent. Uh, so with regards to treatment options, it would really depend on the pathology with which the patient has. So they need it. They need to have a competent deep system. And if they have incompetent superficial system, then the options are either endovenous, so that's laser, radiofrequency ablation, 
or open, which would be high ligation and stripping or stab avulsions. If there are evidence of deep incompetence, uh, there's no formalized uniform technique at this point to improve valve structure and competency that's widely used across Australia, but it's definitely an area where we're trying to do more research because that's a really unfortunate population of patients who have deep incompetence and their real only treatment option is to have compression. Thanks, Sam. This has been such great information. I just want to ask a final question in terms of, you know, like, have you got a pearl there that you want the GPs of Australia to know about? Any, like, sort of final tip, I guess, that you want to share with us? Uh, The one thing I would definitely say is if you've got a patient who has had chronic ulceration regardless of the cause and you have been struggling with the treatment, make sure they've definitely had a biopsy as a few of the patients will come through and ultimately have developed a marginalin's ulcer over that time and so um, need to then be referred on to have malignancy excised. So it's probably the one thing uh, is always to be aware of, just keep in the back of your mind, could this actually be uh, masquerading as a malignancy that looks a lot like a venous ulceration? Awesome. Sam, thanks so much for joining me today. Really appreciate it. I hope to hear from you again soon. Thanks very much for having me.